This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to the program, folks. It's that time. We call it cut for time. And please, any of the things that we talk about during uh, this segment, we'd appreciate if you went back, subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the show in its full version. If you have that time or just want some, us to keep you company and ride along with us, do that, folks. Well, we welcome also back for this conversation, Grant Hardy, our reporter out in Vancouver, who is with us. Rummy and I return with you. And we, every week, reflect on the conversations that we've taken part in, part in for the past week on the program. We call this Cut for Time in case there's a little bit more we want to add to the conversation that maybe wasn't the most appropriate time. And guys, I'm, I'm going to start here. And I think definitely this is something to, to weigh in amongst ourselves. We had a fantastic guest. Uh, on Tuesday, Dave Sanderson, a passenger of U.S. Fifth, Flight 1549, joined us to talk about a very fatal day and uh, the experience that he went through. Uh, he's talking here about the options the captain had when uh, the aircraft was going down into the Hudson. You look at, he had basically four options, four choices. He could have gone back, tried to get back to the airport, which wasn't a good option, as in the movie, really realized it, it had a very difficult time getting there. He could have gone into the Atlantic Ocean, which was right there, but there's no one there to rescue. He could have gone into the airport in Teterboro, which is the closest airport, but there's too many skyscrapers there to even try that. So his only only option or only choice was the river. And he uh, he made that call once he sort of went through his mind very quickly and had to deduce that. Dave, wonderful guest. We appreciated his time coming on to speak to us. Very engaging because he kept me listening. And again, I find stuff like this very interesting. But when we were going through these particular choices, um, and, you know, you think, okay, go over the bridge. When is this captain deciding what to do? And when, you know, he seemed to have a plan, all these things, boom, boom, boom. And you think about training to do a particular job. You think about how much time do they spend going over scenarios. I'm not suggesting, all right, if you have trouble in New York City, engine blows here and engine blows. But I, I don't necessarily mean that. I mean overall problems, overall location work that you do to say, okay, there's buildings. Doesn't matter if it's New York, doesn't matter if it's Hong Kong. What matters is what you do with said jet to, 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 to bring about the, the least collateral damage. Um, Dave gave us that in that conversation, uh, to things to think about, things to understand. This is what this captain had to decide. Um, and you think about when you make a decision like this, you're aware of injury and, and fatality and have to get to a comfort zone as much as one can with your decision, with your choice made just like that. Um, I felt that through the conversation with Dave, that stress, that that reality that someone have. It's, it's one thing to sit there and think, especially when you're watching a movie, we oh, wonder if he could have done that. But when you think about the buildings and what he said about the airport, that's too surrounded by buildings and too much of a challenge. And those of us who've never steered a, a commercial jet in strife, you know, why it's bouncing all over because of being low enough, too low to the ground and being affected by winds, buildings and the current crisis, 
it really was something for me to listen to him talk, to imagine myself in that situation, and mainly for the pilot. Obviously, your heart goes out to, um, you know, the, the passengers and family and, and stuff like, like that. That goes without saying. But really, the, the picture he painted of decision and what one does, well, I really appreciated that the other day. I, I really did, and really thank Dave for, for taking that time and putting it so in perspective for us. And, you know, we really didn't even hear about what he went through in the sense of helping people and that kind of thing. Dave really wanted us to understand. That's what I needed. I mean, you, you I remember it on the news. Remember the day it happened. Um, but that's as far as you get. We, we think, oh, well, there's a lot of plane crashes. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. And it's very easy for it to slip out of our minds. But he brought it home to us the other the other day. And I felt, Grant, what a tremendous conversation with him. Really, absolutely un unbelievable and tremendous. And this is something I've always wondered about my myself. Like if I was ever in a life or death crisis, which I've never been, touch wood, um, how would I react what would i do and it's one of those things where there's literally like no good move that you can play on that sort of chessboard of life it's like mm. all of these moves are terrible options who knows you know maybe like the move that i decide not to play would actually be a fluke and be the better move and but you just don't know and there's no way to go back and do it again so all you have to do is kind of go with your gut and go with your intuition. And in this case, it worked out for them, but there was a lot more than luck. Obviously, there's extensive training and really incredible decision-making. Uh, and, you know, frankly, some some heroics in terms of helping to make sure all the passengers, you know, got got off that plane as, as best as possible. And uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I wouldn't want to say this is a dis decision or, or, or victim blame, you know, anybody, but after something like this, your, your life kind of changes forever. And he really used this opportunity to empower himself, uh, Ramya, and uh, decide to help motivate others as a result. Right, right. I, I often think, too, like, it's not necessarily about... Um character or personality or who you think you are in the more, you know, average situations of life. But something like this goes on in the midst of chaos, what it really takes, especially if you don't have the training. You mentioned, Grant, that if you have the training, if you've been through the scenarios as part of the training to kind of like build that mental toughness, build that, you know, grounded uh, way of dealing and decision making and pushing through with whatever decision you did make, that's one thing. But if you don't have any of that and have to go through this, do you consciously decide how to process through this as it's happening? Or do you just kind of go with what you are and who you are and then later on reflect and say, wow, that was tough for me, or I can't believe I made it through on, you know, adrenaline or whatever it is. And and that reflection process is so key, I think, to um, how you go about your your days, your weeks, your experience coming out of this as well. Uh, and, and that, as you guys said, as he uses it to kind of motivate other people and, and talk through it and explain how these things went down for him, um, not all of us necessarily can, or at least not in the time frames uh, of everybody else.
I'm going to move to Wednesday's show and talk about a different kind of tone of something on our entertainment report with Corinne Van Dusen. She spoke about the We Are the World track uh, and the documentary made around that on Netflix. Here she is explaining a little more. Mm -hmm. We Are the World came out in 1985. It's the charity single for uh, African Famine Relief. And it was um, it was Bob Geldof who did uh, Live Aid from Britain. Uh, I don't you know, that's a huge single. They they did uh, Do you, Do They Know It's Christmas for Relief in Africa. Mm -hmm. Harry yeah. Belafonte, who's American, um, is was a, a huge um activist and stuff and brought and said you know what we we need to help famine in ethiopia as well what can we do the best we can sing let's get the greatest people in pop from the 1980s together to to do something good mm. i think like the heartstrings part of this element of this conversation or this kind of initiative is what I lean into when I want to reflect on it on Cut for Time because, you know, we often have so many conversations where we're mad and infuriated and frustrated because of people with the money, the people with the power, the people who can make the most impact in the least amount of time or supposedly with the least amount of effort um, to, like, move the needle forward on any kind of thing anywhere around the world, uh, don't do it or don't do it often enough or don't do it with the rigor that they should be and that they ought to be doing it. And, and here we are, the average person thinking like somebody's got to do something on a big scale and why won't they? But when we talk about art and whenever we bring art into the conversation, we know that it becomes more um, digestible. We know that the issues and the challenges that are being you know discussed like with the the famine and what this song was made for uh the those conversations become more um i don't know like community or uh, more empathetic more compassionate and then the approach of being able to bring people together through art bring people together and say okay we are doing something about this let's all uh, come together and you know whatever whether or not it's about money um, necessarily it's also about just the people with the power doing something but in a more in a beautiful way i think um and i guess like we have seen examples we've talked about it with corinne as well we've heard of examples where celebrities and influencers were come together in one way or another and the, the people who put these kinds of things together for cause and i think that Honestly, no matter how many ways we do it, no matter how many ways we deal with initiatives and with raising money and with coming together to help out communities, people who've been affected by natural disasters, as an example, uh, I think that doing it through music, doing it through art is always the most, like, everyday way most you know most people can get on board when we do it through art and i think that that's very significant and we've seen it through history uh, a lot kels speeding this thing came together speeding like at flash yep. flash rate when yep. it happened it, these guys got together said how can we help what can we do for them as you said Ro, it's that thing they have in their hands their ability their throats their whatever magic fingers that they can utilize to create and do something for a really worthwhile cause. Now, when it comes to us, oh, okay, I'll buy it. My money will go to this great cause. But you know what? 
I get to see what these guys are like together. Well, listening to them, picking those voices out later on, Farm Aid would, would do the same thing on a different level because so many of us really just like, wow, see them on the same stage. It's kind of... I'm going I'm to liken it to sports. Sorry, all you folks. It's when you have a, a game, uh, whether it be for your country representation or an all-star game, you wonder what these people playing together is like. Mm -hmm. What are they going to act like? You wish you could be that fly on the wall. And now with the, with the documentary, you're able to kind of be a fly on the wall to hear the conversations, to hear the carryings on, because you just wonder, I wonder what it's like having that much talent in one place. It's almost like... It became this thing, and you, as soon as the, you know, that they could all leave the room and leave their talent there and run to the bathroom, run to get something to eat or whatever, or like leaving their instruments. Because in that room, there was so much talent working on this wonderful piece of music that they were all standing for, all agreed with, for a common good. And I think that, at the time, for so many of us, it really was an amazing thing, because you never think of them together. You almost think of them as rivals out there trying to sell their music and not getting them together to work together and their dynamic personalities, Grant, like that all in one room for one cause. It fascinated most of us. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Art, I always find it fascinating that art and entertainment and our ability to access art and entertainment is one of the first things that society tends to kind of cut back on, mm. which is really interesting because it's actually one of the most, if not the most avenue for, oh, I don't want to say, you know, controlling, regulating people's emotions and activities, but kind of like promoting social, social change. Sometimes the art is meant to tug at your heartstrings like do they know it's christmas sometimes it's meant to sort of be ironically offensive i know i always think of like a modest proposal by uh jonathan swift where it's a very ironic piece where he actively the character in the piece is actively saying you should harm certain people in order to actually offend the general population and uh promote social change and i believe people actually at first didn't realize he was being ironic and thought he was being serious um but there's just you know some art is meant to get up in, in your face some things are about working out your your anger or your whatever's going on through comedy or music plays and i think that's really fascinating just the amount of power that art has in terms of promoting social change promoting charity and that's why I think it's very dangerous uh, that we're entering a world where uh, we're sadly cutting back on a lot of the stuff we used to enjoy. Totally different subject now on Monday, but we're going to really talk about Mike uh, Babcock, our tech contributor, who talked about the Apple augmented reality headset, the Apple Vision Pro, and spatial audio. We could really play some music on that. Uh, but he talks about some other interesting uses that that could have. Going back to the spatial uh, awareness of this, and we kind of seen this with the AirPods Pros, um, and that is spatial audio. Um, and to me, that's really interesting. If you put your music application, because you can put things in your environment on your left-hand side, but slightly in front of you, guess what? That music is going to come from your left-hand side slightly in front of mm. you, which is kind of cool. Um, another nice thing about this is um, 
the Apple Vision Pro, playing off of what you guys were talking about in the laid segment, um, is also a good way for someone to uh, get their TV or their entertainment into a size and location that best supports them. So a friend, we'll hear his voice here in a couple of minutes, um, went ahead and he has a low vision, but he's able to bring an 80-inch TV into his environment, for example, bring that close to him so he can see what's going on on the TV and not have to worry about having the room for that TV actually physically in his environment. The audio bandwidth that we have is so much more limited than the visual bandwidth that people have. And I think that makes it exceptionally difficult to communicate as much information as we should. And I think that the accessibility aspects of this could be great. There could be virtual maps, virtual tours of buildings. There could be be, be my AI describing the orientation of photos without having to slow down and give you a clock face, degrees, whatever. Uh, there could be, uh, you know, description coming from certain portions of the video, uh, depending on where it's happening. I think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, guys, with this being so expensive that blind people are just not going to purchase <laughs> it at first, and accessibility apps aren't going to uh, come to it, Ramya. Uh, but I think when they do, it's it's going to be really extraordinary. Yeah, of course it's going to be extraordinary. And of course, there's, you know, I'm so far behind in even imagining mm -hmm. what some of these things could feel like, could uh, be used as. And then as it comes out, I'm so, like, floored, you know, just absolutely fascinated, thinking, my goodness, are you kidding me? And this has been in the works for how long? Um, but yeah, you're right, Grant. There is definitely that issue of funding, though, and how do we get a hold of it? But you know, the early adopters always keep us posted, and right now it's looking real good. And I love when we think about those who are out there with disabilities, and again, for us, screen reader users, yeah, okay, we might be, well, when's, what are we going to do for us? What would it do for us? But there's so many of us with low vision even in our community, just speaking of our community, a lot more of them that actually would get some uses out of it. So, you know, they're, they're in the arena. They just got to gotta get right down to home plate where we are. Uh, thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Catch us next Friday for another edition of Cut for Time, folks, right here on Kelly and Romeo. We step aside for a moment. We'll check out what's coming up on AMI-audio and AMI-tv over the weekend. We've got an interesting closing moment. Don't be putting your phone in a bag of rice. I'm telling you, I don't care if it's long grain, one minute, whatever. Don't do it. We'll talk, tell you why after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.